guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. Back in December, I did a reading of my favorite Edgar Allan Poe short story, The Cask of Amontillado. I had a lot of fun doing that one. And a couple of weeks ago, one of our listeners and my good pal Jason asked if I'd read his favorite Poe story, The Telltale Heart. So that's what we're going to do today. If you've never heard this tale, it's about a guy who today would probably work for a home health company. But this particular nurse should have been given a thorough mental health evaluation before he was hired because he becomes obsessed with a certain body part of his client. If you're intrigued by this, keep listening, because without further ado, here we go. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous. I've been and still am. But why will you say that I'm crazy? The disease has actually sharpened my senses, not destroyed and not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I crazy? Look and observe how healthy, how calmly I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my mind, but once it did, it haunted me day and night. There was no objective. There was no passion. I loved that old man. He had never done me wrong. He had never insulted me. For his money, I didn't care. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. One of his eyes resembled that of a vulture. It was pale blue with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of that old man and thus rid myself of that eye forever. Now, this is the point. You think I'm crazy, but madmen know nothing. You should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to that old man than during the week before I killed him. And every night about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it. Oh, so gently. And then when I'd made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed so that no light shone out. And then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I don't wake him up. It took me a whole hour to place my entire head within that opening, so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise to do all this? And then, when my head was well and full into the room, I undid the lantern, cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously, because the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much so that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight, but I found the eye was always closed, so it was impossible to do the work, because it was not the old man who vexed me, but it was his evil eye, so I needed to see it. And every morning when the day broke, I went boldly into his chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and asking him how he'd slept. So you see, he would have had to have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect 
that every night, just at midnight, I looked upon him while he slept. On the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than mine did. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think there I was opening the door little by little, and he had not even dreamt of my secret deeds or thoughts. I almost laughed at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was black as pitch with thick darkness, for the shutters were close fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening and the old man sprang up in the bed crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour I did not move a muscle and in the meantime I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I have done night after night hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan and I knew it was a groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief. Oh, no. It was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it had welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo, the tears that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt, and I pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. His fears had ever since been growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but he could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It's only a mouse crossing the floor, or it's merely a cricket that has made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found it all in vain. All in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was this mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that I caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily I opened it. Until at length, a single dim ray, like the thread of a spider, shot out from the crevice and fell upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open. And I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctiveness, all a dull blue with a hideous veil all over it that chilled the very marrow of my bones. But I could not see anything else of the old man's face or person, for I directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon that damned spot. Now, I've already told you that I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. It's just that I have an over-acuteness of the senses. And because of this, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier onto courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I barely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could to maintain that ray upon the eye. 
Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every second. The old man's terror must have been extreme. But still it grew louder, louder, I say, every moment. Do you understand me? I've told you that I'm nervous, and that's true. But now in the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder and louder. I thought his heart would burst. And now a new anxiety seized me, that the sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, and once only. In an instant, I dragged him onto the floor and pulled the heavy bed over on top of him. And then I smiled, to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heartbeat went on in a muffled sound. This, however, didn't trouble me. It would not be heard through the wall. Eventually, it stopped, and the old man was dead. I moved the bed back and examined his corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon his heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulse. He was stone dead, and his eye would bother me no more. If you still think I'm crazy, you won't think so any longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of his body. As the night waned and I worked hastily but in silence. First, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. Then I pulled up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and stuffed it all under there. Then I replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected that anything was wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spatter whatsoever. I had been too careful for that. A tub had caught it all. (laughs) Ha ha ha. When I had made an end to all of these labors, it was four o'clock in the morning, but still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what have I had to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by the neighbors during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Someone had called 911 and the police were dispatched to search the premises. I smiled, because what did I have to fear? I bade the gentleman welcome. The shriek, I said, was mine in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I told them to search, search well. I led them, eventually, to the old man's bedroom. I showed them his treasure, secure and undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and asked them to sit there and rest because they had to be tired, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which the corpse of the victim rested. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was at ease, and they sat, and we all chatted cheerily, talking about this and that. But after a while... I felt myself getting pale, and I wished they would just leave. I had a headache, and I thought that there was ringing in my ears, but still, on and on they chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more and more clear. I talked more freely to get rid of that feeling, but it continued, and it gave definitiveness until at length I recognized what it was and that it wasn't coming from within my ears. No doubt, I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a higher voice, yet the sound increased, and what could I do? 
It was a low, dull, quick sound, much like a sound that a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers didn't hear it. I began to talk more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I got up and argued about trifles in a high note with violent gestures, but the noise steadily increased still. Why wouldn't they just leave? I began pacing back and forth with heavy footsteps, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men. But the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon which I'd been sitting and grated it upon the boards, but the noise arose over it all and continually increased. It grew louder and louder and louder. And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they didn't hear it? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, and they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought, and this I still think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this delusion. I could not bear those hypocritical smiles any longer, and I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, louder and louder and louder. Villains, I shrieked. Shut up. I admit it. Tear up the floorboards. Here, here. Here is the beating of this hideous heart.